0: I invite you at this time to turn with me in your pew Bibles to Second Peter chapter one, verses twelve through eighteen. It can be found in your pew Bibles on page one thousand eight hundred and ninety-four. One thousand eight hundred and ninety-four. Second Peter chapter one, verses twelve through eighteen. Here now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure you will always be able to remember these things. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty, for He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to Him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with Him on the sacred mountain. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. I'd also like you to join me in uh, the back of your green psalter hymnals on page 19, Lord's Day 12 of the Heidelberg Catechism. I'm going to read the questions and we can read the answers together with one voice. Why is he called Christ, meaning anointed? Because he has been ordained by God the Father and has been anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher who perfectly reveals to us the secret counsel and will of God for our deliverance, our only high priest who has set us free by the one sacrifice of his body and who continually pleads our cause with the Father. And our eternal king, who governs us by his word and spirit, and who guards us and keeps us in the freedom he has won for us. But why are you called a Christian? Because by faith I am a member of Christ, and so I share in his anointing. I am anointed to confess his name, to present myself to him as a living sacrifice of thanks. To strive with a good conscience against sin and the devil in this life and afterward to reign with Christ over all creation for all eternity. Thank you. Uh, That's the teaching of our catechism. Um, uh, The last uh, few weeks when my family and I have sat down on Friday nights for uh, pizza nights, um, and uh, we have our, our... new babies wrapped up in these little swaddling wraps. And I was laughing because the other day um, I was eating pizza and crumbs of the pizza were falling on the baby's head. And my wife was like, make sure you don't get the red pepper flakes on your baby's head. That's not a good thing, right? But anyways, I I say that because we like to watch um, America's Funniest Home Videos. Now, This is kind of a fun thing for me because I remember growing up with my family watching America's Funniest Home Videos back when everything was actually on tape. And you had to send it in to California to have it on the show. Now you just send your cell phone videos in online. Okay? So things have changed. But one of my favorite videos, kinds of videos for America's Funniest Home Videos, are the videos when parents go to their kid And their kid is like covered in peanut butter, right? And then the mom's like, did you get in the peanut butter? And the kid's like, no, I didn't get in the peanut butter. What are you talking about? And they have peanut butter all over them, all right? So I bring this up because when kids run into donuts or peanut butter or things like that, it changes them. And they might try to act like it didn't happen. They might try to lie about it, but the evidence is all over their face, right? Well, tonight we're talking about something else that we run into, we encounter in life that changes us, and that is the life of Christ. The life of Christ changes the lives of others. The life of Christ, when it comes into contact with other lives, is something that changes you. It's something like a peanut butter jar. You're going to get some of it on you. You're going to have the evidence of an interaction and an encounter with Jesus evident in your life, okay? If you encounter Christ. And, and so that's what we're talking about tonight. That's what Peter is talking about here when he speaks a little bit about his own personal uh, testimony, okay? So our theme tonight is the life of Christ changes the lives of others. The life of Christ changes the lives of others. We have two points tonight. The first is the importance of remembrance. Peter talks a lot about remembering, right? And the second point is the power of Personal testimony. The importance of remembrance, the power of personal testimony. Let's look at this first point together, okay? The importance of remembrance. Um, Peter starts this new section of 2 Peter by saying, So I will always remind you of these things. This is a referential statement that is uh, in reference to all that he has talked about up until this point in verse 12 um, in the letter. And so Peter began his letter by saying a a number of very important things. Um, First, that we have divine power that's been given to us, that's given us everything we need for life and godliness. Um, Second, that we have these great and precious promises, that by faith in these precious promises we participate in the divine nature. We have by union to Christ, access to all the benefits and the power that belong to Christ. Uh, Paul says it like this in another letter. He says, The very same power that rose, raised Jesus from the dead is at work in your lives. That same power is at work in your lives. Okay, um, And so because of these realities, because these things are, are true, Peter says, Make every effort to add to your faith. Make every effort to uh, affirm your election and your calling. Make every effort to, uh, to grow. Make every effort to make sh- sure that you have a living faith, right? Uh, and so Peter has said all these things, right? Uh, and then he says, so I will always remind you of these things. I will remind you of these things. Even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. Uh, so Peter um, says it's important that we remember In fact, see how often he uses these words in verses 12 through 15. He says, I always remind you of these things. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in this tent. I make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Um, Peter believes that remembering is important. And I want us to know this. The reason why he says remembering is important It's because we forget. Why else would um, Peter say, I want you to remember these things? Why else would Peter say, I'm going to make sure that you remember these things even when I'm gone? Why else would Peter say, I'm going to make sure I refresh your memory of these things? If it wasn't true that something that is wrong with our human nature now and it's fallen state is that we forget. We forget. Peter knows how easy it is to get wrapped up into the challenges and difficulties of life and forget. Peter knows how easy it is to be confronted with life's challenges and life's difficulties and life's struggles and to forget that we have been given divine power that's given us everything we need for life and godliness, that we have these precious promises that by faith in them we participate in the divine nature. Peter knows that we forget. And there are many other biblical authors that know we forget. Um, One of my favorite psalms, David says, Bless God, O my soul, forget not his benefits. I love that. David's just talking to himself, stop forgetting how good God is because we forget. And so the importance of remembrance is in fact tied to the fact that we are very forgetful people. We are very forgetful people when it comes to remembering the things that are important in life. And so Peter says, I know that you have these things firmly established in the truth that you've been given, but I think it's right, he says, to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. So he begins to be a little more personal here. He's, he's, he, he refers to his, his, per, his uh, present experience as a tent, and, and the reason why he, he calls it this, and this is something, this is language that Paul also uses, is because um, tents are temporary, See, Peter and Paul, they would have understood the patriarchs that we've been looking at in the book of Genesis, right? And one of the uh, transient realities that the patriarchs experienced is that they did not have a, a solid home. They did not have a, a foundation. They were, were nomads. They traveled in tents because God had not given them the promised land yet, right? And Peter would know, too, that when the Israelites left Egypt and they were Uh, the exodus occurred, they traveled in tents for some time. In fact, God's very own presence was dwelling in a tent called the tabernacle. And they were about to go into the promised land, but they were unfaithful, so they got 40 more years of wandering in the wilderness in tents. They had no place to call home. And all this pointed to the fact that there was a home that was awaiting them that was not temporary, but lasting. And it wasn't the promised land, because their unfaithfulness got them rejected from the promised land as well. There was another home that awaited them. And the author of the book of Hebrews says, it is a city that God has built that cannot be shaken. Whose foundation and builder is God? All the faithful who came before us, they are the heroes of the faith because they were waiting for that place. We have not come to Mount Sinai, we have come to Mount Zion. So, what does Peter say? He says, just like I told you in my last letter, that you are sojourners, you are elect exiles. You are strangers that the state that we are currently in is not our eternal state. Peter says, I'm in the tent of this body. This body that I live in right now is in uh, correlation with the body that we'll have forever, but it's not the same. This is not my forever body. This is my temporary body. This is the broken body It's affected by the curse. Peter says, even though I'm in this very fragile and temporal state, I think it's important that while I'm here, I refresh you. I refresh your memory about the important truths of the gospel, the important truths about the Christian life, the important truths about Christ and who He is. He is called Christ, meaning the anointed. He is our chief prophet, priest, and king. And this is why he thinks it's important that he reminds people these things. In verse 14, he says, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Um, Now, at the end of the Gospel of John, uh, you may recall that uh, Jesus reinstates Peter after his three denials by asking him a series of questions. Uh, Peter, do you love me? Peter, my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And then he says, let's leave this breakfast and let's go for a walk. And uh, Jesus begins to walk with Peter. And, and, and Jesus um, tells Peter that one day when he's older, he will be carried away where he does not want to go. And, and the, uh, the, um, the thing that Jesus is allu- alluding to is that one day Peter will be martyred for the faith. Um, and as is typical custom Peter, he's like, yeah, but what about that guy? What about that guy? Because uh, John is right behind them. And, and Jesus says, it's not for you to worry about what's going on with that guy, John, but to worry about you. And in fact, what he says is, what if what if he stays alive until I return again? Which then John says is the reason why the rumor was that he would never die until Christ came back. Which isn't what Christ said, he said. Just to clarify. Peter is referring back to that moment. He's referring back to a very personal moment that he had with Christ that we are privy to because we are brought into that scenario. We are brought into that. But this is a walk on the beach with Jesus, a conversation that he has had with Jesus where Jesus has told him, one day you're going to lose your life for the faith, for faith in me. This is a very important moment where Peter is remembering how the life of Christ, his friend, his Lord, his Savior, has changed his life forever, changed it forever, so much so that he knows that his time is short, and he wants to utilize that time to make sure that... that Other Christians know how important it is to remember these wonderful truths. Um, In fact, historically, many people believe that uh, a lot of the information that um, Mark got for his gospel was by sitting down and having personal conversations and interviews with Peter. And one of the reasons why people um, believe that is the case is because a lot of the negative comments and negative references to Peter and his behavior come from Mark's gospel. And so it seems as if Peter was like, make sure you include that because I want to make sure everybody knows that I'm a sinner that Jesus saved. Now, we can't prove that. But maybe part of what Peter's talking about here is he wants to make sure that there's a forever way that people can continue to remember what Christ has done. People can continue to experience the life of Christ through the Word of God. And that even though they may not have Peter's experience of walking personally and being an eyewitness of Christ's life, that the Holy Spirit would make powerful the life of Christ in the pages of Scripture and God's Word that would directly impact and change our lives forever, just like that changed Peter's life forever. And so he says, I'll make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Remembrance is, um, is something important uh, because we forget. In fact, um, growing up um, in the uh, in Christian church, we, we participated in communion every week. Um, and um, this was something that was always put on well see, look, this due in remembrance of me. Um, now here in the in the reformed faith we, we have a conviction that what happens in the um, in the Lord's Supper is not simply just a, a funeral service where we remember what Christ has done for us, but Christ is actually there, present with us. But when Christ instituted the Lord's Supper, he knew it was important that we not forget. And that's why he said, this do in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this to remember me. So we need to remember the life of Christ. And by remembering the life of Christ and what he's done for us, it changes our lives. We need to remember that Christ has been ordained by God the Father, anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher who perfectly reveals to us the secret counsel and will of God for our deliverance. We need to remember that he's our only high priest who set us free by the one sacrifice of his body and who continually pleads our cause with the Father. And we need, we need to remember that He's our eternal king who governs us by his word and spirit, who guards us and keeps us in the freedom he has won for us. And when we remember that, and we remember that we are called Christian then the way it impacts us is we rem- we're reminded that we share in the anointing that Christ has to confess His name like a prophet, to present ourselves to Him as living sacrifices of thanks, to strive with a good conscience against sin and the devil in this life, like a priest, and afterward to reign with Christ over all creation for all eternity, like a king or queen. So let's not forget. Let's remember. Our final point, then, the power of personal testimony. The power of a personal testimony. Peter continues on in verse 16 saying, We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. And So the contrast here is um, cleverly invented stories or eyewitnesses. Peter might be referring to one of the rumors that the very own leadership in the Jewish community created after the resurrection of Christ. Uh, the soldiers came and told them, this is what's happened. An angel has come and, and, and the stone was rolled away and the body of Christ is no longer there. And, and they said, listen, this is what you need to do. You need to go and you need to tell everybody that the disciples came in the middle of the night and they stole Jesus' body away. And now they're just perpetuating this cleverly invented story that Jesus resurrected from the dead. Um, Which, by the way, that story is still told today. I mean, I can't tell you how many atheists I have heard blab that thing. And it's kind of interesting to realize that God's very own word says this is what people are going to say. And then they say it. (laughs) So, um, cleverly invented stories. Um, Is this fake news? Or is this real? Is this, um, is this false information that needs to be fact-checked? Question, who's fact-checking the fact-checkers? Is this, um, is this uh, stuff that is being made up, and you can read in the National Enquirer, Elvis spotted in Paris again. The Loch Ness Monster is back. Or is this the real deal? Is this his eyewitness? Peter says, we as the disciples, as the uh, apostles, we didn't follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because we were personally there and we witnessed His majesty. We saw it with our very own eyes. John will say something very similar to this in the beginning of his letter. He says, The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make your joy complete. We saw this. And what is the, um, the power and coming of our Lord Jesus? What is he referring to here? It almost seems like he's referring to the coming of our Lord Jesus um, that when he comes again, right? This is something that Peter's going to talk about later in this letter, Second Peter, the coming of the Lord Jesus again. Um, but what he's talking about here, what he's referring to here, is in the power and coming of our Lord Jesus, is is a precursor to that ultimate revelation, and that is Peter's is talking about when he was with Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus took a number of his disciples, Peter, John in James, up onto the mountain. And on that mountain, uh, Moses and Elijah appeared, and uh, Christ was transfigured. And what they saw was Christ in all his glory. You see, Christ is the Son of God, but when he ca- came down to earth, he, he veiled his glory. Uh, remember when Moses was up on the mountain, And he came down and his face was glowing. His face was shining. So much that he had to veil his face because it was distracting the Israelites. Um, He had to veil his face. And finally that, 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 uh, that glow faded once he had been away from the presence of the Lord, right? Well, Jesus himself is the Lord. Yet when he's here on the earth, he's humbled himself. He does not walk around in Jerusalem like a glow stick. Yet, in this moment, in this moment, that veil was torn back and what Peter and James and John saw was the glory of Christ in all its perfection, shining, so much so that Peter was confused. He didn't know what to say or what to do. He's like, Lord, let's make tabernacles and let's live up here in tents forever, He didn't know what he was saying, but it was that wonderful that he had experienced this moment. Verse 17, For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is something that God said of Jesus at his baptism. This is something that God said, to Jesus at the Mount Transfiguration. And Peter's saying, I was an eyewitness of this. Um, This moment in the life of Christ, I was an eyewitness of this, and it has changed me. I encountered Christ in a most magnificent way when his glory was on full display. And it changed me. I heard God say from heaven, This is my son. And it has changed me forever. Verse 18, we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Peter had a personal testimony. And he includes this in his letter to the people he's writing to. He wants them to know listen, the things that I'm telling you, they are not cleverly devised stories. They are not fake news. They are not misinformation. They are not National Enquirer articles. They are not uh, clickbait. They are things that I have personally experienced. Now maybe, um, maybe none of us here were on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus was displayed in all His glory where Moses and Elijah came and spoke to Him and where God the Father spoke from heaven proclaiming these words. Uh, maybe, I, I don't, I'm guessing none of us were there. Um, but we do have our own personal encounters with Christ. We have our own personal encounters with Christ. I've often heard it said that um, when you're going to, uh, to share the good news of Jesus Christ with people, in our day and age when everything is about personal experience. I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just saying that's the reality. That it can be beneficial. That before you go straight to the, hey, did you know that you're a sinner and you need a Savior? That you say, let me tell you about what God has done in my life. Let me tell you about what's happened in my life since I've personally encountered Christ. Christ. that that's much more impactful, much more meaningful. Now, don't get me wrong, personal testimony can be done badly. And we all know those horror stories of people who are given the opportunity to share their personal testimony in church. I'm guessing that hasn't happened here, but other <laughs> churches, they do that, okay? <laughs> Yet, nonetheless... When you read Scripture, when you read Lord's Day 12, and you hear about how we share in the anointing of Christ, and you hear about how Christ is personally involved in our lives and active in our lives, when you say those words of, the, uh, of Lord's Day 1, question and answer 1, you can't deny that what the Heidelberg Catechism is talking about is a personal experience with Christ, our Savior, our only comfort in life and in death. And there's nothing wrong with sharing that with others and saying, listen, my relationship with Christ has changed my life forever. Listen, I want you to know something. Christ saved my marriage, He did. It changed my life. Listen, I want you to know something that there was a point a year ago that I didn't think I would be standing here anymore. And instead of things going the way things went, I now have two precious little babies instead. That's what Christ's life does when it impacts other lives. And just because Peter is an apostle. And he walked with Christ personally. He had an eyewitness experience of Christ. Doesn't make our personal experience any different. The same Christ that is at work in our lives is the same Christ that walked with him on the beach and told him that one day he's going to die for the faith. The same Christ that saved my marriage and changed my family is the same Christ that Peter saw in all his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. Don't be afraid to share how the life of Christ has changed and impacted your life forever. Don't be afraid, just like Peter has done in this letter, of the power of personal testimony. Well, I hope that your interaction and your encounter with the life of Christ has changed you forever. And if you haven't accepted Christ as your Lord, if you haven't turned to Christ to know Him as your Lord and Savior, your only comfort in life and in death, my prayer is that the personal testimony of Peter here in this letter and the personal testimony of others might lead you to that decision. But I pray most importantly that God's very own word would be powerful in your lives by the Holy Spirit and turn you to faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have given us such a great salvation. We pray that we would not forget what Christ has done in our lives. We pray, Lord, that we would not neglect the power of personal testimony. We pray, Lord, that we would be changed by Christ. That our lives would be impacted deeply and profoundly. That our families would be transformed. That our hearts would be turned toward others and not ourselves. That we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That we would give our lives as living sacrifices. That we would be forever impacted by, and transformed by our encounter with Christ. That people would come into contact with us and know that we are different, that we have been changed, that we have been touched, moved, transformed because we have encountered Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.